This is Coda Radio, episode 314 for June 25th, 2018. everyone and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and its related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two great sponsors, Linux Academy and DigitalOcean. Tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris and joining us every single week from what I believe may be a new location, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, Chris. And if you can't hear the cacophony of dogs behind me, I am in a new location. I <laughs> somehow found two more dogs. Did you get dogs while you were off the air? I didn't get them, but I'm dog sitting. And <laughs> so one culture shock living in the South now is door-to-door sales is still a thing. Oh. And they only do it when you're on a show or a conference call. Sure. Right. And also thunderstorms also only make an appearance while you're trying to podcast. Everybody knows that too. It's a uh... It's a weird scientific fact. I didn't know you had multiple dogs in on premises. You have one dog of your own? So I usually have two dogs, but they're used to like my weird lifestyle that they tend not to bark too much anymore. <laughs> but wait, wait, I have my mother-in-law's What's so weird dog. about the lifestyle? What's so weird that the dogs have had to normalize to? What is that exactly? Well, so, so, so there's a disagreement in my extended family about how dogs should be trained. Oh, okay. I believe that dogs should be trained not to bark. Ah, sure. They believe that dogs are for protection and should be trained to bark. But the oh, problem yeah. is yeah. door-to-door sales is a thing down here still, mm-hmm. where it's not in New Jersey because it's mostly illegal in most towns. So that in like the afternoon, because I guess it's 97 degrees, that's when you want to do it. I don't know. Me, I'd be there at 6 a.m. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, I've had a similar challenge with my dog, Levi. Because when we're parked at our home base, you know, I want him to be a guard dog on alert because we actually had a stranger wander into our yard and it was very alarming and he did exactly what he was supposed to do. But then there's other times when we're on the road, we're at like rest stops and campsites where I don't want him to be a guard dog because it's normal for people to be getting in and out of their vehicles next to us and talking and having a, having a picnic or whatever. So it's this... It's this really, it's it's a it's an impossible challenge for him. But that's not, we're, this isn't doggy radio. That's not why we're here today. No, I'm not actually sure why we're here today other than it must be somewhat to talk about software development and its related technologies. And perhaps we eventually, we eventually will get to the cost of pragmatism. Uh, Mike and I both have some thoughts on that. Plus, we just got done with a big batch of remote work and we had a great conversation with the GitLab CEO about his thoughts on remote work. 100% remote work for GitLab. If you missed that chat, go grab that. Uh, so we'll get to some of that. But I got to start on a personal note here. Uh, I, I I believe you're in a new location. It's, it totally sounds different to me. I am. I am now in Riverview, Florida. Not river. Oh, I, oh, hold on. Hold on. I got to look this up. Riverview, huh? That's nice. Do you have a view of the river or is that just a... <laughs> I do not. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> of uh, course. It's, it's, a, it's a bit more built up than Plant City was. It's a bigger house, you know, growing family and all Yeah, yeah. Things. Oh, congratulations. Good for you. No, no, no additional children. <clears throat> no, no, I just meant uh, getting a nice, slightly light, larger place can be really nice. I, yes. Florida to me is just, it's basically Orlando and Miami and maybe a little uh, Tampa. Yeah. And that's it. That's all yeah, I Yeah, well, so Orlando, Miami, Tampa, and then, of course, Dagobah. Oh, yes. Right. Yes. Right there in the middle. Right. <laughs> right. It's like, like the rest of it's just Dagobah. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, look, that's a snake and it's about five feet long. So is hmm. this uh, is this farther north in Florida or is this down? Uh, you know, uh, it's Midway, Florida. It's, I do not know why that just turned on. It's about 20 minutes north west ish, but it's barely west. Of okay. Plant City. Oh, OK. Do you, do you need to go conquer an air conditioner for a moment? That's fine if you do. No, there is some strength. So we could have a whole, like, home engineering episode. Oh, man. Somewhere. I'm on the second floor of this house, which yeah. is kind of rare in Florida. Somewhere, there is a pump in one of these walls. No. I am going to find it. A pump that just I turns going, on randomly? <laughs> I think it's draining the HVAC system, but I, I have no idea where it is. 
That is weird. It is not in any of the obvious ducts where you could like easily access it. So Liam Neeson style, I'm going to find it. I'm going to figure out what it's actually doing. <laughs> and I'm probably going to disconnect it. Yeah. Yeah. That's... It turns on at random times. Yeah. Not, not during the night, though. Oh, no. No, no. It turns on like every 45 minutes. No. No, we can't have that. Yeah. No, we can't yeah, have yeah. that. <laughs> oh, I found, I found Riverview. Okay, so it's near Tampa. All right. It's, it's closer to Tampa than Plant City, yeah. I see. Yeah, okay. It, it, comparatively speaking, Plant City is uh, very rural, yeah. like a lot of farmland. Sure. Riverview is a little more built up. I, I had a fabulous uh, beer and taco lunch today. Nice. Um, oh, by the way, today's beer of the week is High Ally by Cigar City Brewing in Tampa. High what? High Ally, oh, okay. uh, but uh, J. <laughs> okay. Not, not yet. All right. <laughs> no, not the high life that you're living. No, not no. not your favorite magazine. I, and not Heil Hitler, so that's good. <laughs> I have been watching the documentary on Netflix. <laughs> oh, you got a McDonald's near you. That's nice. Good. Well, moving I, on up. <laughs> I tell you, I tell you, Florida is still uh, on my uh, on my list to travel to. Uh, I mean, I've flown there, but I've never driven there. You know, there's a reason they don't have Southeast Linux Fest in Florida. I just want to say that. Yeah. 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 I've been to Texas though. So if I've been to Texas, I feel like Texas is Texas is so much better. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I'm just throwing the gauntlet down. Do you know why? Because Linux Academy is in Texas. That's true. That's true. And you know, so that so let's so on the topic of remote work. Uh, I had the hookup. I got really lucky at Linux Academy because I I parked alongside their building. And you see, in Texas, there's not there's not a lot of shade. Shade's a real premium thing, and you can recognize the long term Texas folks uh, versus the people that are visiting because the long-term texas folk they 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 they're like shade hunters they like seek out shade if there's a tree in a parking lot they come up with creative ways to park under that tree somehow a spot that could fit two cars uh, suddenly is fitting four trucks uh, in texas uh so shade was a massive premium and uh i'd also gotten my awning damaged on the way down i got hit by a truck and it just didn't really hurt the rv but it it, t- it just totally damaged my awning, so I couldn't put it out to create shade. And so I'm parked on the side of the Linux Academy building, and I lucked out because I got the way the, the, way the, the, way the building's positioned in the afternoon, the hottest part of the day, the sun was on the other side of the building, and Lady Jupes was in shade. So I could, right as it was starting to get up to be about 90-something in the RV, shade would be there. Then the ACs could do their job, bring it back down to, like, you know, 79, 78. And... Um, I also was hooked up to 30 amps of power that they got wired for me during Texas Linux Fest so I could run both air conditioners. And they just had their Wi-Fi system upgraded, so I was able to attach to their Wi-Fi and get really strong internet while I was working out of their parking lot. I worked for almost a month out of that that RV. And uh, one of the best connectivities, best parking situations I had in the entire trip was when I was rando parked in the Linux Academy parking lot down in Texas. Really? So so what was it that made uh, their facility easier to work at? It was definitely, you know, the power and the internet connectivity was really good. And having good, strong internet makes a huge difference uh, when working remote, going from like a, a, like a tethered cell connection to like a wired, high quality, you know, enterprise right. grade Wi-Fi network was really nice. But there's also something too, like uh, I have my own space. I can go close a door. I can even lock that door. Um, I have my fridge in there. I can do my own thing. But then when I need to go contact somebody or I need a resource, I could just go over to the building and walk inside and go grab somebody. That was really useful too. That was nice. It was made it really efficient. I got I got their whole uh, Linux streaming system all set up and ready to go. Got it installed in uh, their CEO's office so he can fire it up when he wants to do a live stream. And um, did a whole bunch of other stuff while I was there too that just sort of, sort of was uh, not planned but just sort of came up. Did a whole bunch of other things. And a big part of it, I think, is I was there in the morning and I could be there in the evening. And I also didn't have like this end of day thing. Like people could leave and I could just like choose to go back into the office after dinner and just keep working if I wanted to. And so I got I got a key card and I went back in there and I finished up work like at 7 p.m. in the evening when nobody was there and I could let Levi run around the whole office. <laughs> I imagine they're pet friendly then. Yeah, they were pretty pet, pet friendly. Yeah. And Levi, you see, he's, a, he's special. He's a he's not a service I've, dog. Okay. He's a podcast dog. So he gets special privileges. <laughs> no, you know what? You and I, listen, we both suffer from some pretty acute mental illness. That's true. I mean, I could so call our dogs dog. count. Yeah, right. Yeah. Our dogs totally count. Yeah. Now, what? So you went into their offices. 
Was there anything in their offices that you can talk about that you you said, you know what, this is not a traditional office. This is definitely geared towards a hybrid or a remote mm. team. Yeah, so they have a – so for people listening that don't know, they have about 40% of their staff remote. And uh, they have a policy where if you want to come in and work in the office, you can. They'll make space available for you. They'll try to make travel accommodations available for you. Um, so one thing that I thought was weird, if you think about it from just like a business cost standpoint, is they just had a couple of open cubes with, with that were set up and kind of ready to go but didn't have staff in them. So that way when staff visit, they have a place to work. Now, it's not weird so, other so than it just seems really expensive to do that, to have like it, dedicated. It is weird. <laughs> It is weird. So, so when you say ready to go, though, do you mean just like it's furnished? There's yeah. like connectivity. Got a monitor. Uh, so every all their machines. Oh wow! There, so a whole workstation ready yeah. to roll. Well, it's okay. uh, with a laptop. So all their machines there for it's the like most a- part that I notice have like DisplayPort on them. So they all just kind of they have like DisplayPort monitors at the desks. Um, yeah, and it was sort of just like yeah, just let us know and we'll help you make it work and uh, you can come down here and work. And so yeah. I was able to use one of those spaces for a little bit. So it's interesting. I. Um you know, I told you a week before the GitLab CEO interview that we were going to do remote now at the Madbotter. I was totally mm-hmm. folding on the lease side. Which is, <laughs> it's a very unpleasant process. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not the best thing you could do. And it, But I made it optional. And not only has no one opted to show up to the office. Now, granted, there's only one person in Florida. so Or I take that back. Close enough in Florida to actually show up to the office. Um, I don't even show up to the office anymore. It's... A complete waste. Like, really? You know, yeah. I see. I was expecting you to say they have a bunch of automated scripts that when you go in there, you know, you can like just just Slack and having everybody just have like FiOS alone is has been more than enough. Yeah, I mean, they got everybody on Slack there at Linux Academy, so that's definitely something okay. they're doing. So yeah, they're so they're similar in that respect. Mm-hmm. And they've got uh, they've got a few tools, uh, but for the most part, it's nothing nothing unusual because so much of what they do is knowledge work. Uh, I think they want people to sort of be in the best environment to enable that because it's so it's so heady. It's courseware. It's it's you know teaching people. So it's like it's you're creating a. Um, something that just requires a ton of focus. Then there's then some of their teams, which seem to be more localized, seem to be like the marketing folk, uh, some of the uh, leadership team. Uh, those people all seem to be local and have offices, and they come in. But they're also, you know, they're in the area. They're in the Dallas area. So there's there's also a talent aspect to this, is some of the talent, you know, people that are really knowledgeable in AWS and Azure aren't necessarily in Dallas. You know, they might be up in the Pacific Northwest as an example. And so they've got people working up in the Pacific Northwest um, and they're doing the same thing that uh, we've noticed a couple other companies do. And that's that those summits where they'll bring a bunch of Mm. teams together or several teams together and do like these uh, micro summits where it's not the whole company, but it's a big portion of the company. So so a lot like the GitLab, uh, GitLab CEO. And Canonical too. Yeah. I don't believe in Canonical anymore because they promised me Ubuntu TV and I never got it. <laughs> They're right up there at Mycroft. Fair know, enough. Fair enough. No credibility. Microsoft has a, or Mycroft has a uh, new um, fundraiser they're doing too. <laughs> it's, it's just never ending. You just have to be, in, I mean, <sighs> you know what? No, we're going to be positive today. Yeah. Okay, sure. We could try that. So I'm running Windows 10. Oh, where did that come from? What happened to uh, this whole Pop! OS stuff? I'm still running Pop! OS 2. I'm doable. Oh, okay. What happened? What uh, what precipitated this uh, need to uh, run the Windows operating system? Well, you might want to edit this out, but capitalism makes horrors of us all. <laughs> I think and, that's, there's nothing to edit out. That's true. <laughs> and I have a job, and it needs to be done. Yeah. It's a UWP job. So. Uh, I had to load Windows 10 recently myself, although for nothing so dirty, I was just... Um, Updating a, a nav that device had only updated with a Windows app, so I kind of had to load Windows. So, how has this been, and what are you missing from Pop OS? I'm definitely missing a full Unix environment. Yeah, have you um, have you I loaded the Windows subsystem? Or I did, and I yep i I did the Ubuntu eighteen oh four version. It's just not the same. I mean, it it's. It's almost like having diet ice cream. If you're going to have ice cream, just go all the way, man. Just go Turkey Hill or Briars or something. Don't, 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 don't lay your frozen yogurt on me, okay? Like <laughs> hey, <just>. hey. 
Um, Froyo can be good, man. You just haven't had good Froyo. <laughs> Maybe I haven't. Froyo makes me sad. It's like a duels non-alcoholic beer. If you're gonna do it. <laughs> yeah, it is. Just it? do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the, there's always the seduction of Windows in that, like, Visual Studio is really good. Although Steam games I've bought over the years are now very playable and look really good. Yeah, that's or, a funny thing, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, because they're all a few years old and my card is new, so it's like, hmm, that's yep. interesting. Yep. But it's it's the little things that get to you. However, it is nowhere near unusable. So, like, if this UWP thing actually takes off, I could see myself spending a lot of time in Windows. The loser here is actually not Pop, though. It's Mac. Ah, sure. Um, I just i am basically not using Mac at all. I'm using uh, a split between Pop and uh, Windows 10. Yeah, <clears throat> that doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me at all. I, I did this whole trip on Kubuntu. Mm. It, you know, in the past, it would have required a Mac to a, at least a degree. But no, it's not really, it's really, the software has moved to be, you know, more service-based and uh, that works on any platform. And um, I find that I, I can't really bring myself to buy the Mac hardware that would be required to run the software that I need. And I was just having a conversation with a fellow podcast editor who uh, is using um, an editing suite I've never used, but it runs on Mac OS and it needs about 16 gigs of RAM to do the projects that he does and that's the maximum you're gonna get that's his issue is he's got a macbook and he can't get any more ram in that sucker he can't get any more ram and he's getting error messages that he's running out of memory in his editor and he doesn't know what to do he just is he's like i'm totally out of options and i'm like well here's this thing i've been using on linux you could try and he's like ah i want to stick with my what i know yeah this isn't a mac windows linux thing this is just like a dell apple thing like my optiplex which is the machine that runs pop and windows 10 just having 32 gigs of RAM, a much more modern i7, and a much bigger graphics card is, you know what, it really doesn't matter which OS I'm on. It's just better on all counts. Yeah, like it, yep. And yeah. it just makes it easier for me to run VMs. It gives me more, more headroom to run VMs, which is very, very useful. Uh, it gives me more headroom to keep multiple applications open. I could use Slack now. <laughs> you know, those things make a big difference. And so 32 gigs have become my minimum on any system um, that at yeah, least I agree. a work machine. Uh, Although, so so devil's advocate though, is it that we're greedy, right? Like, cause I, I do look at it from a software architecture perspective. A reason that we're having all these problems with these lower powered machines is that, you know, we're running a whole pile of electron apps, right? Like I'm running giant projects in VS code, which is like a big old bag of JavaScript and yeah. uh, CSS. Uh, Slack is, I mean, have you ever opened up Activity Monitor oh, or man. Task Manager, or I think Pop calls it like uh, no, Pop calls it Activity Monitor too? Yeah, and, and just seeing like how much memory and CPU Slack is using. It's, yeah, it's brutal. It's brutal because yeah. I, I I'll be sitting with people who open up Slack on their laptops, and you'll hear their laptops fans start kicking up as Slack is opening. <laughs> like well, Slack. Like, <laughs> not so long ago, I owned PCs with less memory than Slack uses routinely doing nothing. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it, there there is a part of me that's kind of like are we just being spoiled brats here yeah definitely that's absolutely an aspect of it i've run into this issue though with just some of the software i use like the the software where the web app you and i are using uh to communicate uses a incredible amount of cpu and if you've got like a lower end laptop it just makes it cook it just sits there and cooks the laptop and you know it is doing real-time voip communication so i suppose that is processor intensive (laughs) Well, it's the old adage, things that are hard are hard, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, you know, there is also that end of the spectrum. With build time, software that pushes the cores to the limits, there is some absolute legitimate software that's taking advantage of that hardware. But a big part of it is this... um, Waste. Yeah. Yeah. This waste. uh, uh, um, uh, I guess you could attribute it to abstraction. You could attribute it to uh, trying to bring down... The, really, it's trying to bring down the cost of development. It's putting the burden of cost onto the users. You're trying to bring down it, the cost of making multiple pl- platform applications like Electron applications, right? Okay, the, the problem is, like, I was young, but I was there, right? My first uh, gig was doing Java applets, which we've talked about more than once on the show. But, like, that was a horrible, tried in the Nuremberg war crime. Mm-hmm of software development in the name of abstraction, right? In the name of cross-platform. And that, that was a lie. 
in the early 2000s. It was a lie in the 90s. It's still a lie today. I mean, I, you know what? I, I, I'm trying to like get on the electron train, but if you just like dig into it, how it actually works, it's really bad. Mm-hmm. From if you if you have like any, I don't want to say old fashioned, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, or correct me if this is a bad way to phrase this, but any respect for resources on the system, electron is just like an abomination it's, and i don't yeah. mean that i don't, I don't mean it's that bad. like it's a like people should feel bad like the electron engineers did a fantastic job and the community should be very very proud of what they've done yeah it's not a bash it's just a reality but no bash is very efficient see what it is. Uh, uh, it, it's it violates what at least for me were rules i was taught very early on yes and, and it violates them in like dramatic ways right <laughs> And you, I mean, when you look at old software development, you would see these amazing heroics that they had gone through to bend themselves and twist themselves to save kilobytes, kilobytes of disk or memory, just or, or bytes in some cases. Uh, and I, I and, and not to turn this into an old man thing, but um, you know, I legitimately legitimately remember a time when I could have an entire graphical operating system and a video game on an 800 kilobyte floppy disk. And um, that's oh, how sure. I would boot up into a, into a you know, kind of like a unitask environment. Um, it, it had its limitations, but uh, it was remarkable what they could get done. Now, that said, look who now owns Electron. Microsoft. Microsoft that's now... That's right. I didn't, that didn't even occur to me because it's part of the GitHub purchase. Right. So maybe Microsoft has a few ideas here. In fact, I think that's part of why Microsoft bought GitHub is I think... I've been hearing rumblings for a long time, for a long, long time, that the that the, the quote-unquote new Skype that we all have now was Microsoft really testing the waters on rebuilding a lot of their software that runs on the desktop in Electron. That they've Hang been on, we have to of, pause the show. I'm going to go cry in a corner right now. <laughs> well, I mean, I think they looked at it and they said, these are the limitations, but if we own the stack... Maybe we make this thing uh, more modular. You know, maybe instead of a Chromium backend, it's a modular backend. It could be Edge. It could okay, be Firefox. So, oh, I have so many questions here, but finish. I'm just saying, like, it's possible Microsoft could improve this situation now that they are the uh, proprietors of Electron. Could happen. I mean, anything's possible, right? If you, if you, if you're maintaining and leading the project, you could basically do whatever you want. But the idea of Electron running software in its own dedicated Chromium VM, and I know that's like people are going to mince those words, but you know what I mean. Instance of Chromium is always going to be heavy, yep. Because you were for every application, you were spinning up an entire like. There's no shared resources right. there, for better or for like worse. It, yeah. And there are reasons you might want to do that. You know what? You you don't have pollution from the system if somebody's a jackass and doesn't maintain their PC, which could happen. But like, I just want to track track back a little bit. You mentioned your floppy disk having a game and an OS on it. I'm I'm slightly younger than you, so we had like the original CDs. Like, but remember the original CDRs? It was like four oh, yeah. X speed or whatever. Oh like, yeah, super slow. Mm-hmm. But it was like can you write a program that can fill the CD? I bet you can't. You know what? <laughs> I could not. Right. <laughs> It was too much. It was too, like 600 it was megabytes. Like, right, 600 meg. It was a dr- dramatic... And my machine only had like a gig. So, <laughs> it, it, yeah. when, you know, Windows at the time took a good portion of that. I, I just... Like, I don't want to sound like another podcaster who whines about web browsers being terrible. But but there is there is some truth in it that like, geez, go to theverge.com and look at the memory usage in Chrome. Yeah, and and look at like how many different HTTP and other requests. And I don't, I don't mean to pick on the Verge. I love the Verge, but that's also why I'm picking on them because like they're a tech website and they're doing this. Yep. Right. Yep. And it's bad. Um. And Firefox is slightly better. That's one of the reasons I've switched over. But uh, I'm a Firefox user as well, except for the show. Except and except for all the Electron apps we use, right? <laughs> Speaking well, but there there is an IE six factor about Chrome now. Yeah. Right. There, yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of a yeah. yeah. Speaking of Electron apps, I'm using Mailspring here, and uh, we got an email in from Ralph. I like it. You know, Mailspring is um, it's not the best mail client I've ever used, but it uh, it's progressively getting better and better. It um, 
it's based on the Laius, which I thought was a great male client. And it still has that super cool kind of creepy uh, click tracking where it's like really sophisticated read receipt, really sneaky read receipt stuff. Uh, I love that. So It's usually an <clears throat> invisible pixel in the email somewhere. I think, that, yeah, I, it's like, uh, but the, it works with plain text, and I think it's somehow oh. they have like an intermediary server that gets pinged when they open your email somehow. I don't, I don't know exactly how it works. I forget. I actually had it explained to me. I'm just a dumb man. But we got an email from Ralph. He said, Michael this week tweeted, is anyone else finding Java 10 a really powerful answer to Kotlin? I find myself wondering why these improvements didn't come, say, in JDK 8, and really considering just going pure Java rather than Kotlin and Java. So Ralph asks you to elaborate and give an example where maybe maybe you would have used Kotlin, but now could have used just straight Java in itself. Sounds like you were giving Java 10 some love on the Twitter this week. I was. Every once in a while, I go down a rabbit hole and I try something um, very fitting. I have a little side project I occasionally work on called Wonderland. Haha, <laughs> the mad oh, I love it. And it's a Kotlin-based Java Spring app. What it does is not super relevant to this conversation, but a lot of the things I like in Kotlin, um, such as, you know, just like a little... So, there, so there's a lot. So, okay, one thing you have to understand. Let me just backtrack a little bit. The last time I heavily used Java, other than like for one project, was like Java 5. So Java at the time was very strict and very annoying. I love Java. But Java 10, like, you know what, just introducing the var keyword. I know Java folks love to hate on it. That's actually a good thing to have because it's really annoying to have to like remember, remember your types. The new module system, while an epic pain in the ass if you have existing code because it doesn't work the same way is exactly the type of thing uh, the java language um, needs having said all of that i think my tweet is maybe a little overboard i was a little too exuberant in my love of java 10 because you know the power of java chris is not the java language it's not kotlin it's not scala it's actually the java platform the jvm Mm, yeah and the interop between them Right now, I prefer if I'm writing Java to just write Java, which is true. Um, and one of the things I do like is a lot of the niceties in Java 10 are obviously influenced by Kotlin and like other languages. Like, for instance, remember, I'm coming originally from Java 5. So lambdas are completely new in Java to me. Right? <laughs> like, I've done a little bit with them, but like the, the, the niceties brought in Java 10 and Java 9 are are a big step forward. And I've been writing a lot of C-sharp, which in many ways is a, frankly, better version of Java. I don't even know what to say. But Java 10, in the, and this is actually probably what I should have tweeted, but I, I used Kotlin. Java 10 is, is I hate to say it this way, but really Java catching up to C-sharp. You know, b- both in syntax with the whole var keyword stuff and some of the type, the figuring out the types. But also just the niceties of you don't need to like type all this crap out. Mm. It just works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now it is not a clean, easy change. Um, that and I'm not going to go into detail on the module system here. Uh, but I actually read a great book. It's uh, you can buy it at O'Reilly. They're not a sponsor. This is just me recommending a book. Could you imagine if O'Reilly was a sponsor? <laughs> okay, what's the book? Sign me up for those ser- those Marco Arm and iMac purchases. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's Java ten modules uh, by O'Reilly. I'm right. sure you could find it online. Yeah, I'll put I'll try to put a link in the show notes if I it, can find it. it, it if you've done uh, particularly legacy Java as I have, it's a pr- it's a substantial change in how um, you might organize your Java projects and in particular how the module system works. But you know, I'm of two minds on it. Moving an older project, like I have a I have something I did for a, a client maybe a year ago. That's in Java 7. And if they ever wanted to upgrade it to Java 10, it would be probably a nightmare because of how imports work. Oh. But, or if you wanted to use the new module system, it would be a nightmare. But anything Greenfield, I think this is a much, much saner approach. Um, and it, I mean, it's a little daunting. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. If you read this Java 10 modules book, it's a bit dry. <laughs> 
but for good reason. You're getting down and dirty into how the system actually works. Like if, if, if your criticism, if you're one of the four guys on Reddit who says we're not detailed enough, this is the book for you. You're going all the way down. Hmm. Now, uh, oh, and it doesn't work with Android yet. Huh? Oh, hmm. <laughs> use Kotlin on Android though. Just ah, I think you read. You are a mind reader, Mister Dominic, because mobile is exactly where I was going with that. Um, all right, <clears throat> that's a great. That's a that's a that's a lot to think about. I appreciate that, and thank you to Ralph slash Richard. I'm not quite sure which one you go by. Uh, thank you for sending that in. We have another email that came in from um, John. We're just going to go by John. And uh, it's Juan. right it's sexier. <laughs> go by Mr. Juan, and uh, it's right Juan on Domingo. right on our uh, topic of Microsoft buying uh, GitHub and Electron. So uh, we'll continue. Mm-hmm. On. He has some really he he took. I, I should have read his email because I just actually I just saw that come in because uh, I just did a little filter sort and his email popped up on, as one I hadn't read yet. And he has a better case for what Microsoft could do with Electron than I did. He's given it some thought, so we'll cover that. I want to also mention, though, Linux Academy. linuxacademy.com slash coders. You go there to support the show and sign up for a free seven-day trial. It's never been a better time because they just launched a whole bunch of content in April, all new stuff, and then in July... They're doing an even larger launch, a massive, epic 150-plus courses, challenges, and learning activities are coming to the Linux Academy platform. Hands-on, scenario-based labs give you experience on real servers with self-paced, in-depth video courses in every Linux cloud and DevOps topic. And if you ever get struck, struck, stuck, well, then be struck by the fact that they have full-time mentors that are there to help you, real human being trainers that are there for you. Also, coming up next week, Wednesday, June, no, this week, June 27th, as we're recording right now, they're doing a webinar on automation with AWS and AWS security as well, and automating AWS security. Trends in AWS security, security automation, incident response, logging and monitoring are just some of the topics that they're going to cover in a webinar, a free webinar, about 45 minutes or so, 1030 uh, center central time Chicago time is how I call it is what I usually call it 1030 Chicago time and then um, it'll be on Wednesday June 27th of this week and uh, you go to linuxacademy.com get a link to that and I I would really suggest you get a get a get a taste of this because you're gonna you get to hear from a couple of people that are involved in creating the AWS courseware for Linux Academy so you get an idea of the people behind the content. Uh, Trent's going to be there. He's their AWS course author. And Mark, who's also an AWS course author, is going to be there. And then Tom, who uh, is a great guy, lives uh, just a little bit uh, south of me in Portland. He's he's their AWS head of content, and he's going to be there as well. So you get a good insight into some of the AWS team making content for Linux Academy. And uh, you can get started with all of it by going to linuxacademy.com slash coders and then signing up for a free seven-day trial. Thanks to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. That's linuxacademy.com slash coders. Okay. So we have an email from um, Juan, and he says, I was listening to episode 312, and I had a thought about Microsoft's move with Electron. Microsoft has .NET Core and... They do command line and web, but not cross-platform desktop stuff. Microsoft also has WPF for .NET Framework for the Windows desktop. But what if they modified or made hooks in Electron so you could write C-sharp Electron apps so their enterprise customers can use C-sharp and .NET Core and target cross-platform development? This would allow developers of their platform to target mobile, web, desktop, and servers. That's kind of where I was going, but Juan there put it in way better words than I could because he's right. They could they could take advantage of .NET Core. So he's wrong. Oh. But he's right. Oh. <laughs> it has nothing to do with WPF or UWP. By the way, it would be UWP, not WPF at this point. I'll give you four letters. W-A-S-M. WebAssembly. There is absolutely no reason, and in fact, this already exists, where C-sharp can compile into WebAssembly. Microsoft could not release, now that they own Electron, Electron components with, in fact, you don't even need it, but like nicer C-sharp API hooks that simply compile directly into WebAssembly and run in a Chromium or, may God have mercy on our souls, Edge. (laughs) No, uh, no, just don't. Just don't put it out there. Just don't put it out there. Don't even say it, right? Just just (laughs) don't say it. But like there's absolutely no reason that can't happen. In fact, that should happen. And yeah, web this the WebAssembly 
in a lot of ways, I think WebAssembly is the compromise between you and I wanting things to be native. You know, it's fair to call Chris a nativist, I think. Sure, yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, the reality well, of people... Yeah, well, software. Oh, sure, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, 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 okay. You, you, well, no, we're both nativists when it yeah. comes to software. Yeah. I know that's a loaded term. Thanks, Donald. It is already true, right, that compiling JavaScript to WebAssembly, you get some pretty performant code. Now, I know, please don't email me. It's not like Go or C++ performant, but it's a hell of a lot better than JavaScript running in a Node container mm-hmm. or Chrome, you know, mm-hmm. Chromium. Mm-hmm. We also have that we can compile other languages to WebAssembly. Uh, many other languages. In fact, Kotlin, we just talked about, has a tool for this. I believe Java does too. I know for a fact C Sharp does. Um, and I, I'm sure we could go down, the TypeScript does. I'm sure we could, we could keep going down and down the list here, but it's a waste of time. If those compilers, right, now we're into a, something that's been going on for since the 70s, or really late 60s, optimizing compilers. Yeah. That's something people are really good at. Mm-hmm. I am not one of those people. Chris is not one of those people. But if you're telling me that we're compiling into something and all we're doing is writing a compiler layer, then that makes a lot of sense. And if you happen to own something called Electron, which does have a collection of widgets and things you can use to develop your application in a HTML, HTML5 environment, and WebAssembly is completely compatible with that, well, geez, you also have this incredibly popular, incredibly powerful, incredibly productive programming language called C Sharp, or maybe F Sharp, depending on what you're doing. Why can't both of those compile into WebAssembly? Oh, man. Oh, now you're getting me excited. The answer is they can, right? It's an open source project right now, but Microsoft has been very keen to adopt open source projects. Uh, They have the Roslyn compiler, which we don't talk a lot about on the show, but it's a very powerful compiler, uh, which is like their compiler in the cloud. Actually, if you're doing .NET on Visual Studio Code, not Visual Studio proper, but on code, your compiler is Roslyn. It's a Roslyn-powered compiler. Um, incredibly modern, incredibly powerful. I believe, and, and someone who's more of a deep .NET guy than I am right now, although I, I keep getting deeper. It's You know what? .NET is like heroin. I just keep like, you know, I took that first hit, Chris. And yeah. It's that off. Pacific Northwest mix. We, got, we make it good over here. They offered me free coffee, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, but like, it's funny. They have all the parts. They have all the pieces of the puzzle here to say Electron is... A, is going to be not see they have to drop the whole it's running in like a, a this is going to get a little in the weeds but what's happening now when you're running an electron app is you're effectively running a browser window yeah and it's actually running javascript code as though we're in that browser right that's bad what should happen is let's say we're running i'm going to use the word browser but I have a see. I have this theory that in five years, what we today call a browser, there's going to be a separation between a web browser and a. There's going to be some other word. I, I'm going to call it web platform runtime, web maybe web runtime. I like it mm. that runs just WebAssembly code as though it were. I mean, the best analogy I can use is like if if you're a Java guy, the JVM. If you're a Microsoft guy, the CLR. Yeah, it's just a layer that runs um i mean i don't want we're gonna have to get a little dirty here chris but like on java you have your java your scala your kotlin code that compiles into bytecode which runs on the jvm on the net side to use the net equivalent you have your c sharp your f sharp your because you're morally bankrupt visual basic code oh comp- and, and actually with a bunch of other shit like iron ruby iron python but it doesn't matter yeah okay compiles into what they call ir uh intermediate runtime i believe is what that's called but i could be wrong or I- irl intermediate runtime language that runs on what they call the clr it is not true that they're technically equivalent but their function is the same the jvm and the clr run the compiled midway code the bytecode and the IRL. irl why can't we have that for WebAssembly? And the answer is we can. And now that Microsoft owns Electron, I'm pretty sure we will, right? Like, I wonder, right? It's it's not going to be like super native like me and Chris would like, but it's going to be pretty damn close. I mean, you can play Doom, you can play Quake in WebAssembly. Yeah. Um, and hopefully it's going to dislodge. See, see the the thing is, it needs WebAssembly needs to be its own open standard 
not link to Chromium. Which, and let me tell you something, mm. Microsoft, no one wants that more than Microsoft. So this this is where I think, this is the area of the GitHub purchase where I am most excited. Because I would prefer things be native, but we're just it's just not going to happen. So let them not be ridiculously run super inefficient Electron apps. Let's turn Electron into something that basically is like the .NET runtime, yeah. the CLR, the JVM, the Java platform. Uh, I know we're, we're commingling terms here, but but basically let's let it be right in the language you like, compiled to WebAssembly, and it's going to be near, not exactly, but, but near native performance. End of rant. Man, I'd love to see that. All right, uh, one last uh, email to just round out the .NET stuff for today. Uh, this one comes in from Grant, and he's trying to escape .NET. He says, I'm currently a junior .NET developer, about two years of experience, and I feel trapped in the .NET universe. How does one go about making a shift into something more appealing? In my case, like C, C++ might be it, maybe some Rust development. I have some college, but no formal degree, uh, no plan on finishing one, really, but I could maybe, or I said, he says, sorry, I could plan on finishing it from two years from now. Um, I do feel like this influences my situation a lot. But your ideas on how to bust out of .NET and move into an area that appeals to him more, like C, C++, and Rust. And should should the part of that solution be finishing up schooling, um, getting a degree? No. Okay. All right. So we're both on the same page with that one. <laughs> Don't bother with I mean, that. To my knowledge, you have no degree, Chris, and I have a medieval literature degree. I think he's fine. <laughs> yeah, and um, a lot of the people I work with have degrees in fields that are completely different than the ones they work completely with. Completely different. Not true for everybody. So for some people, it's a really good investment. Uh, but Although for if others, any poetry questions, I am your man. I know, I know several IT guys who have English degrees um, and things like that. So I, I, would, I would, and interviewing, I would absolutely, by a factor of 10, prefer to see a couple of years of development experience in anything in anything than than having somebody fresh out of school now it's all having about both, the github profile well having both is also good right that's also sure. that's even better perhaps uh but uh if you've got two years of net development experience you're i think grant in a better position than you're giving yourself credit what do you think mike yeah, I agree. I mean, the question is, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of ways to transition from one technology to another. I am not super knowledgeable on Rust, as the subreddit sometimes complains on a quarterly basis. <laughs> uh, C++ I could talk to you about, but I'm not entirely sure why. You... See, the problem is I'm not sure what kind of applications or what kind of software you're looking to write. Because there are things that you might think would be written in C++ that could also be written in .NET, right? And if that if it's just that you want a different vertical then maybe you don't need to switch technologies. Mm-hmm. However, let's let's say you want to do, I don't know, more per- performant server software. And I say that because you mentioned Rust. Okay, so just do it, right? I mean, no one's going to... I don't know, it's weird. Because if, if he had said mobile, I would say, okay, well, just do yourself a little Xamarin project on the side. Rust is a little weird. I mean, Chris, what do you see Rust being used for? This is probably a bigger conversation. But. Important low-level stuff. Um, I could see... Right, right, server server data processing mm-hmm. is what I'm thinking. Uh, or I could see a lot of OS tools being rewritten over time. Uh, you know, things like that. Uh, we got a similar email by uh, viewer Jake, um, who wrote in and said, uh, uh, what, do, what are your suggestions... And what do you do for software web engineers and developers who are looking to transition to a new job but don't have enough time to spend on a full side project? Like they they're sort of stuck between worlds. It sounds sounds like that's also uh, what's what's happening to both of them. They're just sort of stuck between worlds. I mean, I would say for me, this is an area of weakness only because like I haven't had a job in a, over a decade. Yeah, it's one of those two where um, <clears throat> I'll tell you what's we, we really the answer is it sucks. The answer sucks so bad because it's. I think you just have to do it right. You have to suck it up and not sleep for a couple of weeks. Well, and it's nobody wants to hear that. And the other no, thing too is like a lot of times these opportunities become available to you when you've been spending time on making connections. So it's going like going to the meetups. Yeah, yeah, go, going to the meetups or hanging out with some group on Discord or Mumble. 
um, being involved in a community. Uh, a lot of times, the way life works is things that you never thought would lead to paying off in some way lead to paying off right at the time when you're starting to pick up interest in something. So you've done 50% of it. You've identified that you want to change and you have an interest in the area you want to go. But because of your situation, I'm guessing, I'm kind of being generous here, Jake, but I'm guessing that you haven't had the time to invest in IRL relationships, in this case, in real life relationships, because you're probably too busy working or taking care of home life. That's almost where you have to start. And it's a frustrating answer because uh, I've been there. You want to just get in and start working. You want to start writing code. You want to just get started. Uh, And the answer I have for you is go drink a few beers, uh, relax with some people and play some video games. Go be super unproductive for a little bit. But what you will be doing is opening yourself up to opportunities. Yeah, like I, I've been going to a few things over in Tampa now, and it, 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 the best thing you could do is drink some beer. And if you get a DUI, it's not my fault. So. <laughs> uh, I just, no, but, but I, I, I kind of want to push back a little bit on them. If you are an ex- a software engineer with any experience, you know, technologies change, right? The world changes. Like, I don't know. My, You could argue that my specialty is still Objective-C, but I don't write Objective-C anymore. I mean, I mostly write, I mostly do like project management and crap like that. You know what I've been thinking about And then recently? when I code, I'm doing C-sharp. Go ahead. I Just because you just totally, you're hitting on something I've been thinking about. is like, what do I really do? Uh, maybe what I really do is, this is going to sound super hippie, but maybe what I really do is cultivate community. Maybe that's my actual I job. Think that is what you do. Oh, no, I think that's actually what you do. Yeah. Which, For you, absolutely. Which is weird, right? Because I would have told you it's, it's recording podcasts <laughs> if you would have asked me a couple of weeks right. ago. But while I was on this road trip and I just had so many great experiences with the folks, like I, I, we still have a Telegram group going in our Texas meetup group because everybody there is just so great. We all became friends. Like, I'm going to be friends with those people forever. And uh, I don't know. It's It really is like there's your job and then there's your actual job. And I thought my actual job was recording, but I think it is actual community building. And so just like you, it's like what you could say it's an Objective-C developer, but is it really that anymore? It's like which one's on paper? There's like a tangible version of my job and an intangible version of my job. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. I mean, it, for me, it's a situation where if something Objective-C does come in, and it, something did come in like three months ago, like a legacy app that needed an update, yeah, I'm I'm the only guy in the organization right now who can do it. But that doesn't happen, right? Because it's a dated technology. Mm. So I'm either, honestly, most of the time, I'm doing a lot of um, architecture, project management, things like that, salesy stuff. Or if I'm coding, I'm usually coding in something like JavaScript or C Sharp. Maybe Kotlin if I go on a Kotlin bender. Kind of, or depending on the project, I imagine. Depending on the project. But, but like on average, it's mostly C sharp right now. Hmm. And knowing Objective-C helps. And, that, and that's kind of my objection here. You don't lose your knowledge of software engineering by changing technologies. Right. You may be mildly annoyed that like you're working in, you know, if, you, if you're changing to Rust that you don't have Visual Studio anymore. But you still know, like, basic software engineering patterns. You know how things ought to work. And it's just really learning the syntax and learning the uh, way to program in that language idiomatically. Hmm. Yeah, it's true. That's very much, very much, very, very much true. And and so he's not, uh, our original emailer there is not giving himself enough credit. He could probably, he'll probably find himself to be in a much better position. Once yeah, I think they're both fine, actually. I, I mean, it, it's, now the problem is. You need an opportunity, that, though. You need an opportunity. You need an opportunity. You need to do the networking, as Chris suggests, is what I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, like, okay, so going back to community, a couple of, couple of thoughts on that. Uh, in our chat room right now, XMN is in our chat room. You know, I, I got a chance to meet XMN once in person. I'll never forget that encounter. And uh, now I have a face to that name. It makes a big difference. Uh, I don't know, if, you know, who knows if it'll ever be of consequence in the future. Maybe we'll have another chance to meet up. Uh, maybe it means he hangs out in our live chat room more often, which is, you know, it's a benefit to the show to have people in our chat room. We love, we love people showing up live. So however you can do it, do it. Check out meetup.com. I know that's basic bitch advice, but check it out. Uh, uh, for an example, I like meetups, <clears throat> I 
host them. Linux Academy just built a huge meetup space in their in their uh, Keller office with like a, a, like a big screen television and uh, tables to serve food, so that way they can have students that are in the area come hang out. It works. You know, we have had we've had barbecues here at the studio, and that's how Wes started working with the network. Is he was at one of the barbecues, and uh, and and now he's been he's been working with the network for like two and a half, three years, maybe more. Uh, tomorrow on Linux Unplugged, Brent is joining me while Wes is on vacay. Brent's joining me. Well, Brent and I met at Linux Fest Northwest, and he hung out at the studio during a barbecue. And now we've been chatting back and forth on Telegram, and he and I are both looking forward to him joining me tomorrow on Linux Unplugged. Uh, these meetups work. Uh, DigitalOcean, another sponsor of ours, do.co slash coder. No S, do.co slash coder. Go there to get $100 credit. But they also do meetups. There's DigitalOcean meetups in all kinds of cities all over the place. And if you want to create a meetup, you can work with DigitalOcean to get assistance. Now, you don't need a lot in common. But if if you're just DigitalOcean users, that can be the starting ground. Check out our sponsor, do.co slash coder. You go there, you sign up with that URL with a new account, you get a $100 credit for 60 days. My favorite rig is three cents an hour. So this is really going to last you a while. It's incredibly fast infrastructure that you can deploy within minutes. It's all SSDs, enterprise-grade SSDs, 40 gigabit connections coming into the hypervisors, global data centers all over the world, so you can get something that's really fast and responsive to the users in your area. Simple, smooth, easy-to-understand DNS management. So if that's not your strong suit, managing DNS... Don't worry. It's super simple to get set up. They got guides and documentation all along the way. But it's all about that UI. It's so simple and easy to understand and very straightforward. And if you just want to handle it with a script or a program or maybe an app on your phone, they've got a fantastic API that's incredibly well documented. And their own website is a client of that API. So pretty much Guaranteed to do everything you want to do. They have cloud firewalls that block traffic at the network level so they never even touch your rigs. Monitoring and alerting so you can stay on stu- on top of stuff before anybody that's using your services notice. Plus, it gives you great metrics and a 99.99% uptime. You can get started in less than a minute. You can deploy an entire stack. Say so you want to get going with GitLab. Boom, one-click deployment, entire stack at GitLab. Or do like I do. This is my preferred system now. Ubuntu LTS, I deploy that with Docker. Just those two things. It's just the LTS release with Docker. Now, the way I have it set up on my DigitalOcean account is whenever I deploy a system, it automatically pre-installs my SSH keys. Think about that for a second. Now, I would admit I just use the key. I don't use the passphrase as well. It's just the key. But that means when I set up the system, boop, boop. Chris at boop, 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 and enter, and I'm logged in. It's just magic. And you're up and working in seconds. And it makes the difference from, hey, you know, one day I should try this to, uh, gosh, I got two minutes. Why don't I give this a go? That makes all the difference. And then it's so fast and so reliable. With industry-leading price to performance, it's easy to put in production. Just get started by going to do.co slash coder. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program, do.co slash coder. And um, have some fun with that. They have some incredibly fast systems. Mr. Dominic, we were going to get to the practical versus idealism, which is uh, also sort of about that tangibles and intangibles. I wonder if we could kick it off and then finish it next week, or if we could actually just fit it all into this episode. What do you think? Um, I think we should do it next week. You want to punt it? All right, punt. we can punt it. I don't. I, I think I have. I have enough to to actually dedicate an episode to it because it's something along with this community and traveling and meeting up with people. Like, how do you how do you make any of that like actual tangible stuff? Versus just being very, very practical. I, mean, I have a few more stuff on the community thing. Oh, yeah? So, oh, go ahead. Yeah, so, several times since I've been down here, I've had Coda Radio listeners email me and meet me for lunch or for a beer. And uh, I've heard some really interesting engineering ideas out of those. Um, one in particular, I'm hoping to hear back from you, man, that was uh, he was going to revolutionize uh, serverless technology. Oh. It was pretty impressive sounding. And it was all written in everybody's favorite language. Swift. Go. Oh. No, their actual favorite language. actual favorite language, language. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess their favorite's Rust, but... Yeah, you know, that's Rust second favorite. Doesn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. 
<laughs> is that it? Is that all you had? <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> I have a story, but I can't share it with you on air. Um, oh. I met up with some, a startup uh, founder who's working on uh, something in the medical space that I'll have to share with you. Um, <clears throat> yeah. All right. Well, we have. How about we wrap it up with one more email? What do you think? Sure. Let's do it. All right. So uh, Bruno writes in. Uh, hey, Bruno. Nice to see you. Bruno says. Uh, Hello, guys. First of all, I appreciate uh, the improvement on Mike's uh, audio quality. Mike has been sounding great. Well, that's great. Thank You're you. You're not going to love this episode. Oh, it's not so bad. Not so bad. Now, I've listened to your last show where Mike states that he does not see any advantages for using TypeScript instead of just vanilla JavaScript. Well, I see one big advantage. It's strong typing. As it seems, Mike doesn't miss strong typing on JS when he's coding. I would like to ask Mike, uh, how, what do you do when you're working with large code bases of JavaScript and say you need to perform a refactoring? Do you uh, find then that things like TypeScript could be advantage, uh, be an advantage? Uh, also, um, have you, uh, he's asking, do you, do you, how are you liking VS Code so far, essentially is what he's asking, versus say like IntelliJ's idea? Sure. So it's kind of two um, questions in there. Yeah, so I'm going to answer it backwards. Uh, so I use VS Code for different things than I do uh, use IntelliJ for. I like a fine. I use VS Code as a text editor. I use IntelliJ as an IDE. Now I know if you add enough plugins to VS Code, it effectively becomes a text editor, but that is not how I'm using it. Uh. Having said that, I am having a little bit of electron fatigue, as we talked about earlier in the show, so I'm not sure where I'm going. I'll probably end up sticking with VS Code just because I have a lot of stuff set up in it now. It's I've been inertia is a thing. I just did right. a Sublime Text Adam VS Code uh, shootout on the road trip, and uh, go for you. I landed on. I settled on VS Code. Part yeah. of it was because it worked best on my system in high DPI, um, and part of it was because yeah, the Linux support on high DPI is very good. That that is one of the reasons I'm on VS Code and not Adam actually. Yeah. And the other one is now it's a snap. So it's just snap install VS yep. code dash dash. Close. Well, and it's in the pop store for me. So, ah. so like, and obviously the Windows support is very good when I'm working on Windows. Yeah. I mean, those things put over the top because the snaps are self-updating and, you know, VS code's under active development and the high DPI support. So VS code's what threw it in for me. Yep. So then he also thinks, what, do, what about working with really large JavaScript projects and say you got to do some refactoring? It's a problem. Um, yeah, I'm not gonna lie to you. It, it's a huge pain in the ass. I mean, that is where something like WebStorm from IntelliJ becomes a lot more useful because mm. it does have some refactoring tools. But again, with JavaScript, that can be limited. My issue with TypeScript right now is actually, as I've dug deeper into it, not a TypeScript issue. It's a Node issue in that the way Node works, you have to compile a TypeScript to JavaScript. This is actually coming full circle to our uh, topic from earlier today about my vision for a WebAssembly kind of future. Yeah. If TypeScript compiled directly yeah. into WebAssembly, mm -hmm. I think it would be an obvious choice over JavaScript every day of the week. Yeah. Um, now, would C-sharp be a better choice than TypeScript? And that's probably a matter of preference. But my, my issue is, yes, I know there are plugins that do this, but without using a plugin, when I code in TypeScript, the error I get is in the, if, if I'm debugging, is in the javascript that it compiles of course there are plugins that do some reflection to get back to it i think the ideal world that i think we're very close to in the case of typescript is going to be typescript compiles directly into WebAssembly. now i know it's possible to do that already but the reality of node and and the way electron and a bunch of other environments work is that you're just not doing that once we get there i completely agree with you that typescript is the better option Mm. Until we're there, I'm I'm very dubious on using plugins to do reflection back from the compiled JavaScript uh, into the original handwritten TypeScript code. But my, my sincere hope is that this this whole conversation becomes moot because we are honestly, I think this time next year, all this compiling into JavaScript nonsense is done. I think we will it will be. Maybe not standard, but it will be common enough to just compile into WebAssembly that, you know, people who are more aggressive like I am, and, and I, th I think like if you're a listener to the show, you probably are, will just do that. Mm. And, and, and the debugging tools and the paradigms will, will just be easier to work with. You won't have to have kludgy plugins and things like that to uh, get the reflected back JavaScript. 
And, and so, so long story short, yes, once we hit that world, um, JavaScript would not be my first choice. TypeScript would be pretty high up there. Although, honestly, I might do some, I might go all the way up to like a C sharp or a Java for that need. Well, Mr. Dominic, that's probably a good spot to leave it right there. Uh, I have so many thoughts on all of this, but you and I are going to record another episode in just a little bit since we didn't make last week. So keep an eye out on your RSS feed for that, because that'll be coming to a Coder Radio near you very soon. Coder.show is where you go to get links to everything we talked about, as well as our RSS feeds. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you would like to send people throughout the week to get more you in their face? Directly to the bowels of hell and to at Dumanuku on Twitter. <laughs> Why not? I'm at Chris LAS and uh, follow the whole network at Jupiter Signal. Thanks so much for being here, and we'll see you actually probably less than a week away. <laughs>